Hello from your favorite Grasslands PR team. We are back with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Nicole. And I'm Rachel. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were right. Norm- normally yeah. the, normally I, the speaker I go last. last. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you were right. Um, anyway, you are, you are, you are Rachel. <laughs> yes, at thank least, you. At least we got that part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alan. Hey. Welcome to my... <laughs> this is so weird. Who are you? guys <laughs> both facing me. I already said my name oh, is Rachel. Okay. Oh, okay. I and thought you were going to edit that part out. And nope. Have it be this all staying in. Okay. I'm Rachel and move it. Okay. No. This is all staying in. Just making more work for me. Yep. Um, right. Happy Valentine's Day, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Today I have a very special edition of the Best Biome prepared for you because we're going to talk about one of my favorite rodents of all time. The wonderful, adorable... Adoring Prairie Vole. Amazing. Aw. Aw. Um, sometimes also called the potato chip of the prairie. Not to be confused <laughs> with prairie dogs who are maybe more like the hot potato of the prairie, the uh, baked, baked potato, potato. Yep. Baked potato. <laughs> of the prairie. These guys are a little bit more snack sized at a whopping 40 grams, which puts them into the category of animals that Nicole does like. Yes, at under 200 grams. Under yes. 200. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, these guys have a reputation for being... Delicious? Well, <laughs> that's what I've learned so far. I mean, <laughs> I can't speak to that personally, um, but they have a reputation for being uh, the most loving rodent... I don't know if that's measurable, but I do know that they are incredible, and I am today going to be just explaining to you guys why prairie voles are our ideal animal model for behavioral sciences with relationships. I want to believe in love. Oh, Prairie voles will make you believe. <laughs> um, they are the type of romantics that are devastating um, in their level of love for each other. You know, truly heartbreaking stuff. Um, for example, I just want you to know that when scientists talk about pair breakups, quote unquote, uh, what do you suppose they are referring to? Death? Yeah. <laughs> When prairie voles break up, it's not because they chose to take a different path. It's because one of them got eaten. Yeah. 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 I mean, there is, yeah, there is really only two ways out of a relationship (laughs) with humans as well. (laughs) It is either a breakup or death. Uh Yeah. And I... In this case, the breakup is death. Yeah. Prairie voles too committed for that. Correct. They're like, the only way we're getting out of this is when a hawk tears me off of the ground yes, yes. To, till death do us part yes, yes. and it will part us <laughs> okay <laughs> Ooh, yikes um anyway uh prairie voles are the most common vole in kansas also obviously the most loving vole in kansas but the other voles that live in this state don't express that same level of monogamy um there are a lot of other vole species, and some of them are somewhat monogamous, but most other voles are not. And the prairie vole, as its name suggests, is native to primarily the tall grass prairie in the central United States. So, you know, that's kind of special. Um, 
a little slight overview before we dive into uh, more of the life history and like what makes them ideal for behavior research on pair bonding studies and stuff like that, uh, is that in the prairie vole, of course, social behaviors and their level of monogamy is very important. For example, they court each other, they mate for life. That is only two to three years, but it's significant to them, okay? <laughs> um and if one of them dies, the other will almost certainly never find another partner. Dang. <laughs> God. <laughs> I mean, I get it because it's like only two years, but. Yeah. Well. That just sound that was like, that was kind of a gut punch, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I told you that they are tragic romantics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I will make that worse for you. I will just go ahead and, and, and tell you that it is a choice. It's not for lack of other voles. Mm-hmm. They are just choosing to treasure the memory of their departed partner over taking on additional new partners. <sighs> This is this is gonna be a difficult listen, but uh, what a great Valentine's episode! <laughs> know. You know, it's sweet romance. though. It is. It is. It's kind of sweet, mm-hmm. and also yes, horribly, horribly sad. Yeah. Do they ever like? Do they experience such intense heartbreak that like they die? You know. Oh, that's a good question. Or do they like even after if you lose a partner at like one year old as a prairie vole, mm-hmm. are you still gonna live to be two, or like you know? And is it? easy for us to say whether it's the heartbreak or whether it's their short lifespans or whether it's just that it's difficult to face the world alone as a tiny prairie vole. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that that's been specifically studied. Actually, a lot of the more recent studies are just about like neurochemistry and stuff like that and genetics and they weren't that cool. Well, for like a podcast topic, like I'm not going to sit here and explain to you like genetics terminology. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's dumb. That's fair. Um, but probably. I I imagine that it is truly heartbreaking for them. And yeah. I'm choosing to like imagine like a Pride and Prejudice level of like, you know, <laughs> that's not at all even the plot of that book. I don't know. I'm just picturing like. Never mind. It doesn't <laughs> fainting couch. Heart, yeah. Heartbroken voles swooning with grief over and... Mr. Darcy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. For sure. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I'm with you. Oh, this is this. Okay. Well, let's keep going anyway. Um, so uh, they display a high level of affiliative behavior, quote unquote, which is uh, basically to say that they do stuff together. You know, they they like each other's company. They share responsibilities. Mm-hmm. They spend a lot of time together, even when they're in a cuddle pile with all the other voles in the village. They only have eyes for each other. Oh, it's beautiful. (laughs) This is very adorable. More on that later. Um, Also, there have been some studies indicating that they might have an addiction to social behaviors because it like gets their oxytocin and dopamine receptors so fired Um, up. So they might literally be addicted to love. The love molecules. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, (laughs) Because I can't help myself, I will compare this to birds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, This level of monogamy is only experienced or uh, known in about 3% of mammals. So this is pretty extreme. I would like to compare this to birds because birds, I think, have a reputation for being really monogamous. And I just want everyone to know that um, in one study... 76% 
out of 255 socially monogamous species of birds had extra pair paternity. Mm. Like they were banging other guys and they were fathering their offspring. Mm, right. um, in fact, in some species, infidelity accounted for over half of the offspring in a clutch. Wow. <laughs> in socially monogamous <laughs> birds. These are yeah. monogamous birds. Right. Um, voles would never do that to each other. It's just not, they're not capable of it. Mm -hmm. It is not even an environmental factor. It is just written into who they are and what they are and their literal DNA. They couldn't. They would never. Voles don't need paternity tests. Okay. Anyway. But have they had paternity tests to make yes. sure? Yes. Okay. okay. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I guess we'll talk about this more later, but they are really easily adapted into laboratory studies. So um, a lot of that has been studied in labs, you know? You know? Uh, well, I just to preview, I want you to imagine um, females on leashes... <laughs> And a male that just gets to do whatever he wants. That's the level of study that we're doing here. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, like with, anyway, really good mm -hmm. stuff. Uh -huh. I have seen little pictures of like prairie voles with little ear clips. And I don't know, it's just really cute. <laughs> so in 2004, uh, Brandon Aragona and Zhuashin Wang uh, wrote an overview of the prairie vole and its successes and potential at that point as an animal model to investigate their neurobiology of pair bonding and monogamy. So by 2004, we had a pretty good understanding of just how socially monogamous prairie voles were. A lot of that research work was done in the 90s. And uh, then later on in laboratory settings, they tested out using them as a model for behavioral studies. And by 2004, we realized, like, this is teaching us a lot already. And this is such a big deal for neurobiology that, you know, at this point, we're going to kind of gather all the research that we've done so far, share with you how we've done this, and really promote these guys as a model animal to replace things like mice and rats in laboratory settings for this type of a uh, neurobiological study. Okay. Yeah. The rest is history. So I guess the first thing I want to do is define what a pair bond is because it's really their pair bond formation that makes them so interesting and also slightly analogous to humans in a way that's useful. So in this context, a pair bond is defined as a stable relationship between members of a breeding pair that share common territory and parental duties. And that's it. Pretty basic. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, basic, but again, like not really seen to meet all of those criteria in a lot of animals. For yeah, sure. especially not mammals. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, although obviously human relationships are far more nuanced than we're studying with like things like voles, uh, human social bonds are considered fairly analogous to a pair bond because we do form like strong attachments to other humans in a similar way. Uh, and so this is why researchers, when they're looking for animal models, uh, look for that level of social affiliation in animals to be able to study them. And at this point, uh, a lot of the studies were being done on typical laboratory animals like mice and rats, which, although are social, they do not form pair bonds mm -hmm. by that definition. So why is the prairie vole a good model? 
I'm going to back up a little bit and give you even more context about the Prairieville in the wild and why we were able to look at the things that we knew about it in the wild and learn from them and bring them into a lab from that point. So tiny rodent, I said it was 40 grams. It is from the grasslands of central United States, of the central United States, usually tall grass prairie. And in this environment, there's a pretty significant scarcity of water. It's also considered to be a little bit hard to find food in this environment. Uh, At least a lot of the foods aren't super high in calories that are available. And in that type of environment where there are stressors of water and food resources, uh, it's hypothesized that having two parents to care for dependent young can be a pressure that an animal needs to evolve monogamy. And that's one theory for why the prairie vole specifically developed such a high degree of monogamy. Mm -hmm. It was just very useful in this tall grass prairie environment, which leads me to uh, my first and only very controversial take I'm going to spew into the universe on this episode. uh, And that is that, what if monogamy is a grasslands trait? Well, don't think about it too hard. Oh, okay. <laughs> I won't, but I like it. I like yeah. where you're going with this. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. That was gonna that was gonna be my uh that was gonna be my question earlier was yeah, what 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 are the pressures that led them to have this really strong monogamy? Um since it is so rare. Yeah. So it's just so it, it basically it was that the stress of their environment was so great that a one parent care situation was not adequate for maximizing the survival of species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, at least for this species, uh, it's a pretty good hypothesis that having both parents contributing was enough of a difference uh, to help them really get an edge over their ancestors. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. Do, right? they ha- do they have large litters? Like, I mean, how do you define large? I mean, they're I like, know, like typical rodent litters, I think. Oh, that's not a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> There's no typical rodent litter size. Okay. Well, you know what, Nicole? <laughs> I mean, it's not, I, I think of a small group to be like one to three. Yeah. And I guess I'm just asserting my own bias. That's not very much this. at all for rodents. I know. <laughs> no. And that's what I'm saying. It's mm-hmm. like not a small litter. Like yeah. it's not one to three little pups. Like, I don't know. Yeah. If, if being monogamous does help them raise their pups then theoretically maybe that would push towards larger litter sizes because they can you know mm-hmm. but maybe yeah. maybe not uh it looks like the average litter size is 4.4 pups 4.4 it could be so much bigger it could be bigger but it's not but it's not so and they're putting a lot of work into those 4.4 pups that's right this is kind of that um R versus K. Right? Yeah, that's, oh my God. A nerd. that's a nerd pull right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have a book about that. It's on the wall. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, there we go. Let's pull out our the population ecology genetics. textbook and just read yes. through that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, do you want to maximize the rate of productivity or do you want to maximize the um, number of voles that are just living their best life with you, i.e. carrying capacity? And that's what you want to do, right? You want to have strong, happy voles everywhere, falling in love. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
Yeah. Oh, they get eaten so much. <laughs> That's why they should have more babies. <laughs> this is They're not like my pumping mind. them out and dumping them into the prairie, though. Like, mm-hmm. they take How- care of them. Yeah. How long do they care for their pups? Are they called pups? I, yeah. I, I don't. Really? Yeah, they are. Nice. I, until they're weaned. And then they sometimes stay together over the winter okay, in big so couple not piles. <laughs> <laughs> not like taking care of them, though. Just yeah, socially yeah. hanging out. Uh-huh. They form a neighborhood with all the babies. Doop. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's just wonderful to think about. Huh. In fact, they tend to uh, be more likely to form winter social cuddle piles i don't think that's actually what it is but that's what i'm gonna call it it's fine um when pup survival is high yeah <laughs> if there's not very many pups they might just kind of stay in little units you know yeah. hmm. see you want to maximize the amount of cuddling that's happening that's why they should have more pups no <laughs> you have more pups more cuddles of, more pups equals higher infant mortality <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> That's how it works in yeah. population I mean, like, genetics. To an extent, sure. It's but... easier to keep four pups alive and yeah. defend them mm-hmm. and then die right. selflessly and leave your poor vole wife a widow uh-huh. who will oh. grieve the rest of her two years of existence. Yeah, Nicole, is that what you want, you monster? That That's what Rachel just said. That was the optimal life. That's what Rachel wants. No! I, oh. You did. <laughs> We're getting off topic. No. Anyways, yeah. yeah. I was just curious, because that's a very small litter size for a rodent. That's true. So I was curious if they just don't have a very long time that they're caring for their pups. So they're like, it's a short amount of time, and that's how they get more pups out in the world, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I'm wishing now that I'd done more because there is a lot of research on parental care in these Mm -hmm. guys, especially because they have such a high level of paternal care. And so there's like some really interesting studies about what affects that and what the difference of care looks like. I uh, did not dive into that aspect. I'm not entirely sure how many litters they produce every year Mm -hmm. or um, how long precisely they're caring for them, except that it's through weaning and that the mm-hmm. father is involved in that entire process assuming that he's alive you don't need to keep bringing up that they have a perfectly sweet and like unbreakable bond until one of them dies except for when one of them inevitably dies before <laughs> you, know, you don't need to keep bringing that up well, I think it about is it a lot harshing so. the Valentine's Day mm-hmm. vibe a little bit yeah What's more romantic than giving your life? Well, no. Okay. I disagree. Don't be like that. Don't be like the voles. Okay. Don't be like that. The best thing to do for someone you love is to live. We're just upholding them as a model. Yeah. Yeah. You only said it was the perfect way, like perfect love story you've ever heard. (laughs) But don't be like that. Well, don't die. Okay. Don't die. Another good message. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> I keep accidentally comparing them to uh, Patagonian cavies, also, which do have fairly small litter sizes mm-hmm. and a lot of parental care mm-hmm. and very high survival rates of pups. Cool. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Thanks. So uh, they will produce multiple litters. And they take very good care of them. Yeah. And the ones that make it to winter get to join a cuddle pile. If it's a big enough cuddle pile to be worth it. Isn't any cuddling better <laughs> than no cuddling? Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So anyway, in the wild, the like sort of social 
organization of, I keep almost saying prairie dogs, prairie voles, <laughs> is that uh, if you uncover a nest, the nest consists of a pair bonded male and female and their offspring. And a, I mentioned this before, but unlike most other rodents, prairie vole males contribute significantly to parental activities. And that's not to say that with most rodents, there is no paternal care because there often is some, mm -hmm. but this is like a significant degree of that care. Uh, the males will build nests. They will like catch babies when they wander away and retrieve them and bring them back into the nest. They will like snuggle the kids. There's a specific term for that, but I didn't yeah. write it in my notes. I just wrote snuggling the kids. They'll guard the nest, etc. And and they will share some of those duties with the female, and they will take over those responsibilities in some cases too, like as the sole person doing that work. So um, it's a pretty significant amount of paternal care. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty stark difference considering I think in the Baboons episode we described a lot of male mammals as basically being sperm donors <laughs> yeah. that fight with each other. Yeah. And are like the cause of a lot of infanticide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually in prairie voles, it's the females who are most likely to kill their young. Oh, that's And refreshing. that's usually because they are inexperienced, uh, naive females, which is the biology way of saying that they're virgins. <laughs> right. And then they just get spooked by the babies and go. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But the boys don't do that. They're just like, oh, don't wander off, little dude. Come back. Aww, just like R slash dad reflexes. <laughs> yeah. Grabbing the kids before they roll down a hill. Yeah, know? though. Yeah. I guess from an evolutionary standpoint, that makes sense because they like know for sure, for sure that those are like their babies. Yeah. If you're for thinking sure. about it in like a clinical point of view. Yeah. But we don't have to do that. <laughs> um, now, uh, in 1993, a different paper was published documenting the way that they form these like communal groups and actually more broadly just their social organization in general. So this is pretty old information. We've known about prairie voles for a long time. I think that makes me happy because it's like, I don't know, I like imagining, you know how old timey biologists got to be where they would just get to wander out and be like, Look at those animals. I'm gonna write that in my notebook. Like, <laughs> bio biologists today like don't get to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not as often anymore. Anyway. It is a little bit lamer of a profession now. Yeah. That's okay. Um, but you know, uh, back then, uh, a paper was published documenting the way that uh, they do form communal groups in winter too, and this is in fact the dominant winter social group. Uh, especially when a lot of pups survive to the fall, uh, that they form these big communal groups that are extend extended families, and they do include reproductive adults and strangers. So it's not just familial. It's like the whole neighborhood, like I said before. Uh, and they will contain monogamous pairs uh, that are just totally chill hanging out because they're all buddies and they're all like, you know, this is my sweetheart. And they're like, oh, cute. Like, here's my wife. Like, <laughs> they don't really care. They're just hanging out. Uh -huh. uh, in winter, 80% of communal groups included reproductive males and females. They're just super secure in their relationships, you know. And so they'll just snuggle with all the everybody. Um now, despite this level of, like, mixing in the winter with other voles, it is weirdly significant that breeding pairs are consistently 
unrelated. They never accidentally pair up with a sibling or a related vole, which I find fascinating. So the frequency of inbreeding is very low. And this is both in the wild and in laboratories. They will like preferentially not choose a relative if they can. That is very interesting. And have they identified a like if they identified how do they manage to know I this because I guess know. if you're bonding truly with one other mate for the entirety of your lifespan mm-hmm. genetically you should probably make sure they're not related to you <laughs> yeah yeah and like, i wonder how much know. of that is just part of the social aspect that's like hardwired into their brains that they're able to recognize like their cousins and stuff like mm-hmm. they just like know fascinating yeah the voles around them really well mm-hmm. i don't I don't I don't have information on that, but I found well, it fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, and they told me I was killing the vibe every time I mentioned that they were dying, but like <laughs> pairs in the wild also show very low rates of remating. Mm-hmm. This researcher described this as the abundance of single female breeding units, which <laughs> is to say like a reproductive female who's by herself. But for some reason they described her as a single female breeding unit. (laughs) Because I mean, that's all that women are good for, you know? (laughs) A single female breeding unit? As opposed to just a female. Single yeah. female. Like a yeah. single female. <laughs> breeding unit. Breeding unit. <laughs> uh, well, she's still uh, having kids? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, maybe if like yeah. her dude died and she's yeah. still like raising pups on her own. Right. Okay. Anyway, okay. the abundance of single female breeding units was totally unrelated to whether single males were available. So regardless of how many single male voles there were, there would still be an abundance of single females that just weren't pairing up with them who, you know, lost their mm. their one. But were they still getting down, but then just not hanging out, you know? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Is that why they're a breeding unit? Even though it's just one person, <laughs> one, one vole? <laughs> Maybe. I guess I assumed it was because they had, like the ability mm-hmm. to reproduce or that maybe they were uh, still reproducing because they had, like, babies cooking. Yeah. Um. But in the case of prairie voles, it's pretty well documented that like mating is one of the things that sparks their pair bond formation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how often they're just like one and dunning single males. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I feel like that would I mean, cause a pair bond to form based on the way that their biology works. Sure. Is there really any promiscuity then with prairie voles mm-hmm. if they're all like pair bonding as quickly as possible mm-hmm. once Not they're really. mature? Yeah. So, like, then mm. can you have casual sex as a prairie vole? I don't think you can. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Uh-huh. Anyway, enough about prairie vole breakups. Um, <laughs> is it? Is it? Uh, I want to talk about when they get kidnapped from the wild and what happens oh, okay. to them in labs. Um, so, <laughs> once voles are kidnapped from the wild, uh, they also express this extreme monogamy under laboratory conditions. So, that means it's not environmental. Uh, their love and social affiliation is pretty hardwired. And males in the lab prefer to be with their one partner, and they stay together, sharing parenting responsibilities until the kids are weaned, just like normal, even when given the laboratory conditional options to have side pieces and stuff Uh like that. Uh, 
<laughs> Is that the scientific term? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, so they do test the bond uh, quite a bit, like I mentioned, because we've really pushed prairie voles to their breaking point in a lot of ways that are kind of sad <laughs> knowing this about them. Um <laughs> But we have, so we know a lot about their bond. Um, they look for, they being scientists, sorry, scientists look for like the preferences with mating time and even aggression towards strangers. They they test prairie in, I think the standard test is like these chambers with connected tunnels and they'll like tether certain voles inside one chamber and then like let one in a different chamber have free range and they've gotten so good at this <laughs> that they have like um entire computer programs developed that will use infrared sensors and like shape recognition technology to mm -hmm. automatically identify which vole is moving where and Jeez. just like the computer collects all the data for them and they just have these voles living in apartments on their own, monitored by computers, and it's like, oh, Bravel number two went in and visited Bravel number one. Like, <laughs> it's like all automated oh. now. Nice. That's Which wild. Yeah. Super weird. How do they tether them? I don't know. Um, I saw a video of um, one of the experiments, but they, I don't think I noticed the tethering in. Mm. <laughs> in <laughs> In an illustrated diagram that mm -hmm. I found, it looked like they were wearing collars around the neck, which really concerned me because that doesn't seem like it would be uh, a good way to tether them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think today what they do is they have like collars on them that automatically open the doors if, if they're the parable that's allowed to leave or something. Fancy. That is neat. Um, I don't know that they put strings around their necks anymore but they mm -hmm. might have done that in the beginning to be honest sure i just don't know for sure that's that's what the illustration looked like to me mm -hmm. well i mean yeah they're a lot of fluff like as long they as you are. get it just tight enough that like they couldn't squeeze it back over their skull like yeah probably be fine ish probably <laughs> i kind of like the automated door thing though yeah it's probably yeah. a little bit more humane yeah, a little bit. just a, like living in a big futuristic apartment building with a bunch of voles and yeah, only the males can leave. That's weird. In, in or have they certain? Done? I think I think biologists have like this uh, a bias toward assuming the males are going to be the ones that are cheaters. Yeah, which is odd because we have documented proof that females cheat too and that's yeah. weird um but i think it depends on the study and what they're trying to research in terms of like how much time they'd rather spend with their partner and whether there's like aggressive behaviors mm -hmm. towards strangers and that sort mm. of thing as well partner defense kind of a thing or? yeah for yeah. sure partner defense is uh something that they study extensively too it can be a sign of a strong pair bond and monogamy occurring through these studies we kind of know the bounds of preval relationships. We know, for example, that if you give prairie voles, two prairie voles, 24 hours of mating, that is reliable under like every, like if you do that, if you put two prairie voles in a room together for 24 hours, they will without fail form a pair bond. <laughs> if wow. they're unmated at least. Um, so yeah, you can, you can form a partner preference that way. That's pretty great. Sure. Now, what's fun about this is that because we know that that will reliably every time form a pair bond, mm -hmm. <laughs> you can add things to the mix to see if that stops a pair bond from forming. For example, drugs, <laughs> um, which we always study. But as an analog for uh, human behavioral studies, 
things like uh, struggling to form uh, strong social bonds and stuff can be a like clinical diagnosis for certain conditions. It's something that we study in humans a lot, and there are drugs that affect our neurochemistry. And so this is a way to see how those cycles are being effective and if it's like stopping people from forming social bonds and things like that. Uh, anyway, so that's a certainty we know about voles. Um, we also know that only six hours of cohabitation without allowing them to mate will always fail to produce a partner preference. So that's not enough time together. So longer than six hours. You might run the risk of them forming a pair bond, even if they're not mating. Okay. But if you keep, if you prevent them from mating and leave them together for six hours, that's not enough to form a pair bond. So on the opposite end of what we just said, mm -hmm. in that circumstance, you can add other factors to see if like, oh, now they are forming a pair bond. So that means this is like, causing an increase in the pair bond formation chemicals or something like that. Does that make sense? Am I explaining that right? Okay. So the tipping point is like a 20 or 24 hours. It is inevitable. Yes. They will fall in love. They will fall in love. <laughs> they, as long as you allow them to mate. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, sure. It's inevitable. And who, what scientist would try and prevent that? <laughs> are there, there are scientists who prevent that. Yeah. Are there tiny rodent chastity belts that they put on them? <laughs> That's a great question. I I think it's probably a matter of them like being allowed to be close together, mm. like, but being physically unable to be close enough to mate. Yeah. Right. Like I'm picturing them in like a room that's divided with bars down the middle. Yeah. Although I have no evidence to say that's what they did. That's what I'm picturing. Okay. What you're describing is the Netflix show Love is Blind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my God. God. Where they put two voles in a room <laughs> to see if they bond uh -huh. without, uh -huh. yes. without physical intimacy. Yes. Well, and, and, you know, then they can test whether this bond is really formed because they know like, oh, they're going to preferentially spend time with that one. They're going to show aggressive behaviors towards strangers. They're going to show sure. all the telltale signs of falling in love mm -hmm. we have it down to a clinical science which uh -huh. is a little sad because they're just trying to live their happy bull lives and uh -huh. we're just making it about us but yeah you know what we should pitch <laughs> love is my very bull shows i would I'm learning. watch that we could i wonder how much it costs to buy one of those <laughs> apartment complexes oh, gosh. the pods or whatever yeah. Yeah, yeah according to these researchers it is not uh a a uh, significant difference in care requirements compared to other rodents. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't take any more work to yeah. take care of a colony of prairie voles than a colony of rats. I'm sold. Yeah. So six hours. <laughs> That's six, not enough. <laughs> six. But it, what if they're? What if they are mating within that six hours? Then and you might then run the risk like, of a pair bond forming. Because some some prairie voles really rush into love. Yeah, it's hours. true. Well, and I have some examples of ways that they found they could, <laughs> you know, under extraneous circumstances, cause pair bonds to form in like an hour <laughs> for various things. So like, but that's like our baseline, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like, that's what we understand under normal stress-free conditions. That's what it takes and what it doesn't take. You know what I mean? Okay. Gotcha. For prairie voles okay. to fall in love. What does make them fall in love quicker? You said stress. Yeah, I did. Stress. Oh, and um, drugs. You mentioned drugs. Drugs and stress and things like that. Uh -huh. um, 
So uh, before I mention that, I do want to point out that under these conditions that they make it seem that mating is really important for them to form a bond. I would like everyone to understand that mating is not required for a pair bond to form. Sometimes all it takes is uh, extended cohabitation, usually 24 to 48 hours. (laughs) <laughs> will will cause the female to form a preference even uh-huh. if the male doesn't so Aww. she'll be like you're my guy just like i need you with me and yeah. and she can attach to him even if she doesn't so yeah 24 to 48 hours of extended cohabitation it's extended cohabitation um, <laughs> so they just move if, in together to see if it works yeah. for a day uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. um if the prairie vole was isolated before being exposed to another prairie vole then they will form an attachment with no mating much faster than that oh no (laughs) poor thing because they're like okay all right they're touch starved yeah Yeah. they're like please i just need love Um, also stress is something that affects them. So this is a freakishly specific study, but we know that if a male is forced to swim, (laughs) it can cause him to form a partner preference after being with a female for just one hour without mating. If a male is forced to swim? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, people, so like whenever you bond over like horror movies and stuff, like Uh the like, that like fear. Trauma bonding. Yeah, Yeah, trauma bonding. Like it's That's what we use as a model to study those things. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is is where all of that research comes from. Like this is how we understand like what these brain chemicals are doing because we can look at (laughs) prairie voles under all these conditions and see how it's messing up or Mm -hmm. helping their social lives because their (laughs) neurochemical pathways are working the same as ours. So these these scientists had a like a vole just like swim like what through a tub like just swim across a little plastic like it's probably yeah. extended so like, a lot of times they like uh-huh. put them in a bucket for like a long time whenever <laughs> we're talking about like rodent swimming studies it's pretty messed up how do you know this I read a lot of studies oh that's so sad yeah I I did not take the time to look this up I know that there were two studies that looked at this one was in 1996 and the other was in 2001 so these are pretty old studies which means yeah I that's why I chose not to look them up I was like they yeah. probably did some messed up things to these voles. Mm. Oh, I don't yeah. know if I want to expose myself to there's, that there's studies looking at like how long can a rat swim and like that's literally you put it in a tub until it drowns <laughs> so yeah okay. it's not it's not great no. that's we're laughing because we just don't know how to respond. It's yeah. so horrifying. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. Oh god. This is worse than <laughs> the the fact that you're just like stressing a vole out so mm-hmm. much to see if it will just lower its barriers and be like, I I need anything. I just wanna I just wanna live and I just want I just want love. I don't don't make me swim again, please. <laughs> like that is so much worse than I don't know. We've heard some messed up stories and questionable yeah. animal welfare issues on this yeah. in studies before, but it that's worse. It just really hurts when you can relate so hard to an animal. Mm-hmm. It's and true. It's like literally all they want is, <laughs> is love and companionship. Oh. Not only from their sweetheart, but maybe the whole neighborhood, you know? <laughs> Not even for sex, just for mm-hmm. cuddling. Yeah. Just you know, out. they just want to hang out. They need the social connection. Yes. Just the vibes. Mm-hmm. And they... You know, preference. I mean, they do like to mate with their their partner, but mm-hmm. you know, that's just they just. Oh, God. Anyway, so um, <laughs> specifically with the males, we know that uh, 
forcing them to swim. They they did use the language forced swimming. Yeah. Which I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it increases uh, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis activity in their brains. And uh, that that is probably what results in them immediately forming a bond in just an hour. No mating required mm-hmm. with a female. Um, also in females, cohabitation for like, you know, we talked about extended cohabitation being up to 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, that can even result in same sex preferences that weren't documented before. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So at least in females, I don't, I don't know if they just didn't test males or if mm-hmm. they, they shouldn't show that same behavior, but they can cause a female, female, uh, uh, partner preference mm-hmm. that wasn't documented before that yeah so they just they just want love man (laughs) they're like i'll be gay for you (laughs) you're the only vol for me now we're in a box (laughs) it's been two whole days (laughs) let's just do this thing we're already committed um god i i guess i have more to say about the stress but i i guess at this point i'll just mention that what we've learned from prairie voles, which seems so obvious, uh, but it's that forming a bond is like a really complicated mix of, I guess, physiological and behavioral processes. You know, there's there's a lot happening in our brains, in the brains of socially monogamous and monogamous animals. There's a lot happening in our brains and in our bodies with all of these chemicals that absolutely impact how we form bonds with each other Mm -hmm. that can affect what's happening. And uh, it's just very complex. But boy, have we parsed out (laughs) how to simplify it, I guess. So for for prairie voles being used in these laboratory settings, I want to reiterate that other vole species are much different. And so... Circling back to that point, that also makes it pretty easy to study those other voles and compare them to prairie voles to look at these social aspects, you know, which regions of their brains are lighting up under these conditions versus the prairie voles. And like, where is this social aspect coming from? Do they have different levels of these various peptides and mm-hmm. neurochemicals that the prairie voles are, are not experiencing or vice versa? And so that makes it really easy to compare brains and biology. Um, they are, the other vole species are non-monogamous for the most part and also just asocial in general. So that's pretty neat. They also pointed out in this study that prairie voles from Kansas are different from prairie voles in Illinois. And so you should study your vole colony closely to see what their baseline is first. Huh. This is prairie voles specifically? <laughs> so it's it's that, well, like you said, I mean, if it's that complex and it's not just a genetic thing, then mm-hmm. yeah, the individual habitat, the individual environmental factors yeah. would really affect their pair bonding, obviously. That's yeah. crazy. And a lot of uh, the prairie vole colonies that at least uh, existed a decade ago uh, were, God, that's two decades ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, a lot of the prairie vole colonies that were initially taken into captivity were from Illinois specifically. And so as different prairie vole colonies are brought into captivity, it's like, hey, we should look at how those are different socially and consider that in our studies. 
Very wild. So, okay. <laughs> other vole species, despite being closely related, though, are Very. generally non-monogamous. Yes. It is exclusively prairie voles that this phenomena is yes. observed in. Yes. Of, like, the most closely related vole species to mm-hmm. the prairie vole. Because yeah. grasslands are for love. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Oh, my God. Yeah. At That's least tall it. grass. Prairies. Yeah. yeah. Tall grass prairies. Tall grass prairies. The land of love. Are yes. for lovers. At least if your babies are helpless little beans. Yes. They are. Which is why prairie chickens can just be a buffet with no social commitment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So all of this has been to basically say that because prairie voles are the way that they are, we have been able to do some really cool stuff with neurobiology that we would not really be able to know about otherwise. Studying prairie helped us learn about oxytocin and its relationship to uh, social bonding mm-hmm. and what it was doing. Um, studying prairie taught us which brain areas are evolved in forming pair bonds and also dopamine reward processing and its role in forming bonds too. Mm-hmm. A lot of those things were initially studies that we were able to do in voles because we couldn't do those things in people at first. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also helped us show that uh, cortisol, specifically uh, stress levels, affected the formation of bonds too. Um, so what makes this especially interesting, everything turns out to be so complex the more you parse it out. But there's, uh, at least in prairie voles, even a sexually dimorphic way that those animals respond to stress and how that affects their relationship bonding. So obviously the males go through a stressful time and they're like, you're for me, let's get eloped immediately Uh after an hour. Um, Whereas in the case of females, when they are administered cortisol this has happened in lab studies so when they're just given cortisol like injections or Mm -hmm. uh, however they chose to administer it um it would stop a pair bond from forming that should have formed so uh that would stop it they also failed the swim test (laughs) so uh when they were exposed to the swim test uh they weren't like oh baby give me your love they were Mm -hmm. like I don't want to look at any prairie at all. And so that's interesting, too, because, you know, there is a really good case, as always, to study um, as many different brains as we can, Mm -hmm. because it's just not reasonable to look at, like, one group of animals or one group of people and say, oh, we can extrapolate and add this to everyone else in every other category, because everybody's brains work a little bit differently, and we can just respond differently to stress or different hormones yeah. and it's important to look at all of those things for sure so obviously a lot more work is always being done through prairie to help us better understand like which genes are responsible for this particular thing which which areas of our brain are responding differently like which therapies would be effective to help people whose symptoms include mm-hmm. Uh, issues with uh, socialization and pair bond adjacent subjects. Um, we are constantly learning a lot about prairie and there's always new prairie studies coming out. Yeah. Um, this study that came out 
really recently and was in the news with NPR. Shout out to Alan for dropping that (laughs) (laughs) news on us when it came out. Um, Was uh, Prairieville researchers that actually, I guess they were part of the original team Hmm. that discovered that oxytocin had a relationship to pair bond formation and socializing in Prairieville's like 30 years ago. Like original, the original. They're still doing the Mm -hmm. work, you know? Anyway, they did this insane study where they like took the embryos out of a prairie vole and edited their genes and then put them back in to completely remove the oxytocin receptors from their brains oh no (laughs) (laughs) okay go on yeah um and they found that from birth it didn't matter that they'd had their oxytocin receptors completely removed. They were still able to find love and oh. form bonds like normal. Oh. And that their little brains and their little biologies and their little bodies, whatever is happening in a prairie vole, was able to overcome that in order to have a normal social life and find love. Dang. That is... Amazing. Yeah. That after 30 years, we still don't know <laughs> how any of this works. Yeah, apparently it's not the oxygen. Yeah, like the thing no. that we thought it was. Huh. But it's like, you know, certain things can be correlated, but there are other systems at play. I think yeah. these yeah. researchers were saying, obviously, we need to study more because what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's when you lose something that's important, maybe there's other systems that come in and fill in that gap. Sure. Maybe for them, they're not experiencing the same level of love or something. But that's how could you ask a parable? Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe part of it is learning from their parents too and just like socializing and seeing you know some of those like learning systems and reward center systems are compensating for that Mm -hmm. and whatever it is like it's a complex system at play and it's not that simple which i think we always knew (laughs) to some degree (laughs) yeah but um yeah that's pretty freaking crazy yeah so i guess we just know that there's not one pathway to forming love. But didn't we know that already? <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, not technically. Um, can I share you one quote from one of the researchers in this NPR article when they interviewed? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know the, the uh, pronouns of this person. Um, but their name is Manoli. And they say, um, quote, One of the behaviors that's really the most adorable is this huddling behavior. Mm. They'll sometimes groom. Sometimes they'll just fall asleep because it's very calming. And that's very specific to the pair-bonded partner. Oh. Only pair-bonded prairie voles could just fall asleep in each other's arms. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Oh, God. They're too good for this world, Perry Bowles. <laughs> they really are. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Um, good job, Perry Bowles. Keep doing your thing. And we're going to keep learning from them because it yeah. apparently never ends. <laughs> yes, never yes. ends. Our brains are a deep cavernous well of information to be <laughs> uncovered. <laughs> so true. Uh, yeah. Wow. What a, nice, what a nice thing. Yeah. 
I really hope that when the polls are done with the study, they get to retire and just have Aww. a happy life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, that was my love, love letter to Pravel's. Sorry, we subjected you to so many weird experiments. Um, but they gave us a better lens and continue to give us a better lens to understand our own social behavior. I really hope that all the Pravels out there tonight are having a good cuddle under the stars. <laughs> this episode is very good for my heart, honestly. I'm just so happy just hearing about this. It's very, I don't know, it's very nice. Yeah. 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 It's not like horrible like most things in nature. It's a little horrible. <laughs> yeah. Because there is still long. elements of stress and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, environmental danger and that sort of a thing. Yeah. But it's nice. It is nice. Yeah. I like to think about all those single female reproductive units that <laughs> may, may, may have lost a partner, um, but still get to participate in the communal winter snuggle piles. That makes me Aww, happy. Those poor little breeding units. I yeah. wonder why they never talk about single male yeah. breeding units. I was wondering about that too. Why do the females mm. get called out? It's because they make babies and they matter. and biology is weird sometimes in the past yeah i really had no idea like that prairie voles were the model for where a lot of this mm-hmm. like a lot of the knowledge base for how this you know these like brain function and bonding comes mm-hmm. from i really didn't know that that was like the, it's from prairie studies yeah, yeah i really didn't know that that's the very cool model rodent it is the uh thing that you go to um, I did see that the same author who originally published uh you know the big who who originally like made the big push for like this is like a good model animal um was also uh advocating for a specific monkey as another behavioral model for humans studies in neuroscience specifically it was a TD monkey I think and I saw that and I was like whoa but also this guy is just like super interested uh both of these uh scientists are super interested in uh neurobiology and sociality and monogamy and that sort of like pair bond stuff in general so they had a lot of really cool research they were publishing and uh it's always going to be even if we find other new better uh more similar to us models for these studies it's always going to be easier to breed a bunch of voles in captivity than it is to like house uh 16 td monkeys or whatever (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's true nice so Mm. that's good very lovely I pair bonded on a grassland. Oh, yeah, what? that's adorable. I, pr- I, I proposed to my wife on, on the tall grass prairie. You formed a bond with your wife when you proposed to her? Yes, I was very that, that stressed was... out. <laughs> <laughs> that was the moment that you knew. Yep. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, God. You know, I've also formed a lot of my very strong, lasting mm-hmm. bonds on the prairie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Beautiful. that um, the grasslands is for lovers. For lovers. <laughs> for lovers. <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Thanks for listening. The best biome is produced through our nonprofit Grassland Groupies, dedicated to inspiring the conservation of grasslands. In the show notes, you can find our website, phone number, and social media accounts text call or tweet your suggestions fan mail or hate mail i'd love to get more if you enjoyed the show (laughs) (laughs) 
You heard it. <laughs> we still we still only gotten one hate mail. So. Yeah, and it was great. It I, was it was so good. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> if you enjoyed the show and want to support us, tell your friends about us and leave us a review on Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you want. We couldn't do this without your support. And we'll see you again in two weeks. I'm really sad that you're editing this. I hope you don't take that out. <laughs> a little bit of bass playing us out. Yep. That's what our theme song sounds like. Mm-hmm. Bye, everybody. We forgot to say bye. Oh, goodbye. Bye. Sweet dreams, Prevels. No. <laughs>